Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Tomasetti, and this is the Flight Test Safety Podcast. It's November 2021, but we are going to go back to the year 1954 and see what's happening in the world of aviation. On the 17th of November, in a ceremony at the White House, President Dwight David Eisenhower presented the Harmon Aviation Trophies to Ms. Jacqueline Cochran and Major Charles E. Chuck Yeager. Ms. Cochran won the Harmon International Aviatrix Trophy for her record-breaking flight in the Canadair CL-13 Sabre Mark III back in May of 1953, where she set two new Federation Aeronautique International World Speed Records of 652.55 miles per hour over a 100-kilometer closed circuit. Chuck Yeager had been selected for the Harmon International Trophy for his flight in the Bell X-1A rocket plane, where on December of 1953, he flew the X-1A to Mach 2.44, over 1,600 miles per hour at an altitude of 74,700 feet, faster than anyone had flown before. Meanwhile, across the Atlantic that same day, Lionel Peter Twist, chief test pilot for Ferry Aviation Company, was flying the company's experimental supersonic airplane, the Ferry Delta II, from the aircraft test center at RAF Boscombe Down. This was the aircraft's 14th flight. When about 48 kilometers from the airfield and climbing through 9,000 meters, yes, I went metric on you, we are talking about an event in the UK after all. So at that point, the airplane's fuel supply was interrupted and the engine flamed out. Unwilling to lose a valuable research aircraft, Twist decided to stay with the Delta II rather than ejecting, and he glided back to Boscombe Down, descending through a layer of clouds at 760 meters. Without the engine running, the aircraft had insufficient hydraulic pressure to completely lower the landing gear and only the nose wheel strut locked in place. The aircraft touched down at 170 miles per hour, 274 kilometers per hour, and was seriously damaged. The Ferry Delta II was out of service for nearly a year. The wings had to be replaced, those which had originally been built for structural tests were used. But for his effort to save a valuable research aircraft, Peter Twist was awarded the Queen's Commendation for Valuable Service in the Air. Our feature this month was actually recorded on location in Southern California, where I had the opportunity to sit for a little while and talk with my good friend Mike Sting Wallace, who is retired Navy and now works for the Boeing Company. Sting is also wrapping up his year as president of the Society of Experimental Test Pilots. Since we were on location, I did not have my usual interview recording set up, so you may hear some background noise. All right, tonight is my pleasure to be sitting outside Trader Sam's Tiki Bar Lounge on a beautiful California evening in the Disneyland Hotel with my friend Mike Sting Wallace, who I've known for quite a while. I knew him when he was in uniform doing flight tests for the Navy. Uh, and in his Boeing career doing flight tests, supporting the Navy and Navy programs. Sting, thanks for taking a few minutes out to talk with us tonight. And the first thing I want to ask is that you come up now on the end of your tenure as SCTP's president. What are your, some of your takeaways from the year? What are your, some of your takeaways from your time with the organization? Thanks, Turbo. Yeah, I appreciate you inviting me to, to do this interview. Um, if you guys hear any of the Hawaiian music in the background, you know, we apologize, but it's a, it's just a little uh, ambiance here for us tonight. So, um, yeah, Turbo and I go way back um, to our days at Pax River working at VX23. Uh, I'm still there as a Boeing test pilot. Um, in that role, uh, I've taken uh, quite a responsibility as a mentor of the, the new test pilots that come out of test pilot school. Uh, we actually try to fly a flight. 
um, when they first come out of test pilot school called Test Technique Fam, where uh, I demonstrate to them a couple of you know different F-18 flight test techniques that they may not have experienced at test pilot school, just to show them that you know while they've been to test pilot school and that is a intense course and they learn a lot of, of things there that on the on the scope and the continuum of being a test pilot it's like the one in, you know one thousandth of uh, of the area that you can cover so um, to let them realize that even as a 20 year 25 year test pilot I, I'm still you know maybe at a, a quarter or a half of that continuum and the things that I've done uh, in that realm so just to give them that realization that there's a lot more to it than what you learned at TPS um, I try to convey to them also that there is a uh, situations that you might be put into as a new test pilot where you walk into a room to brief a test flight and you're the new guy but you're in a room of 20 or 30 engineers who have been doing this flight test for two three five years and today you're the guy you've got to make the decisions about how things are going to go down right so uh, you have to be in that mode that you are satisfied with answers to questions. I heard a, a really good brief, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit later, about uh, at SCTP one year, the author of the presentation was talking about what makes a good test pilot. And the, the two words that he came up with was, you're an assertive skeptic. And I love that because I feel like that does really describe a good test pilot. You, uh, you're gonna say what's on your mind, you know, you're gonna ask questions, and make sure that you're satisfied with the answer before you hop in that airplane and go fly that thing to the edge of the envelope to a place where potentially it has never been flown before, right? So those are the things I try to relay to the new guys because while they've gone through test pilot school, again, the focus of the school is to give them the foundation of you know, the different test, techni test techniques and how to write a test report, how to write a daily not necessarily about the real, the reality of flight tests and how you have to deal with th that dynamic that you might be thrust into. Um, it could be a different relationship where it's just you and a flight test engineer in a room or, you know, a different kind of flight test. Now it's just 1v1 where you're talking to this engineer about what's going to happen. So the one thing I try to make sure that they understand is that you have to be prepared in doing that, um, there's simulation. You know, we can use simulation to prepare ourselves for not only what we can expect for the test point, but how a lot of the test points that we try to achieve are at extreme energy states, extremely negative piece of S, where um, we've never flown the aircraft in our, in our flight experience to that condition before. So now we've got to figure out how to get the aircraft there and then do this flight test maneuver, which, oh, by the way, is not the way normal pilots might fly the airplane. So how do we do that? We don't want to learn in the airplane because that's costing $30,000 an hour or more, depending on what ass other assets you have out there. So we, we need to practice that in the simulator, right? That's cheap time that we spend ahead of the flight test to prepare ourselves to understand how we're going to get there and then how to execute the, the maneuver to the satisfaction of the engineers who are looking with mic microscopes at the strip charts, right? right. So that <laughs> they're happy with the maneuver in the end. And we only have to do it one time, ideally, right? So those are the things that I've 
taken away uh, is extremely important in my career. Having the, uh, the new guys understand that they're not in this alone. It's not like their fleet tour necessarily where they were expected to know, you know, all these things right off the bat. Because I, I try to explain to them, it's like, no one's paying for flight tests that we already know the answer to. We're only paying for flight tests to get new information. So that's where we are. The, the day you're going to fly this, it's to get some information somebody really wants and they're willing to pay a lot of money for. But we want to do it two things. Number one, safely. We want to be safe. We don't want to break airplanes. We don't want to kill people, right? So that is our number one concern. And then the other, the next measure of success is efficiency or effectiveness. So in that regard, we want to think about how, what order are we going to put these test points in so I can get the maximum number of test points in a bag of gas or in an hour, sort of how we measure the success of flight test. Um, and the better we do that, the more successful we're going to be, not only for the team, but for the taxpayers who might be paying the bill or the company, you know, that's paying the bill for this flight test. Um, they're going to be thankful for our execution at a, at a high rate of test points per hour, right? But if we have a mishap for whatever reason, it sets all that back, right? So we need to always focus on safety, number one, and then efficiency or effectiveness as our second objective. So you mentioned a couple of things in there where you talked about sort of a, a test pilot's learning continuum. Yes, you got taught some basics and some fundamentals at test pilot school, but you mentioned that one of the things you do now is sort of in that mentoring role where you're teaching some techniques that might not have been taught specific, as you mentioned, to the F-18. It might not have been taught at TPS. And then you also mentioned that, you know, you heard something at an SCTP symposium. So you've talked about a couple of different ways that test pilots acquire knowledge. And I just want to pull the thread a little bit on the learning at the SCTP symposium since we've just come out of our annual SNB. Talk just a few words on in all of the, you know, the two plus decades that you've been doing this, you have the opportunity to attend a lot of events, uh, a lot of SCTP events. Have you picked up things along the way just from attending those symposiums? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I was first introduced to SCTP when I was going through Navy test pilot school in 1996. I think something that they do every year and they continue to do is they send a contingent of their senior class to attend the uh, annual symposium and banquet. So that was my first introduction to it. Um, it was the 40th anniversary of SCTP that year. Um, I happened to, uh, one of the, you know, listen to many technical presentations. Uh, I was in awe of all the amazing flight tests that was occurring that I had no, no idea about um, as n not only a fleet pilot, but then as a, as a TPS student at that time, getting ready to enter the profession um, one of the nights I was up in one of the uh, social events and I ran in, you know, someone told me, hey, you need to come over and, and meet this gentleman. And uh, so I go over and um, turns out it was Wally Shira, <laughs> you know, a NASA astronaut, um, you know, Apollo astronaut. Uh, and uh, at another SCTP event, I met Scott Carpenter, X-15 test pilot, uh, talked to me for about an hour. About, and he didn't want to talk about himself. He wanted to ask me what I was doing in F-18 flight tests, which I thought was amazing. In another symposia, I met Chuck Yeager. That was a little bit of a different experience, but still amazing to meet one of my idols. You know, all these 
famous pilots and test pilots. Uh, and uh, they were attending the Society of Experimental Test Pilots Symposium. That was really what drew me in as my initial phase of being a test pilot. So uh, over the years, have I ever learned anything? I mean, I can't even count how many things I've taken on board from hearing other people brief their lessons learned, their experiences in flight test. Um, and it's not necessarily related to the airframe that I'm flying. It could be a helicopter, could have been a, uh, a general aviation aircraft, um, because there's common themes in, in what we do. It could have been in planning, or it could have been execution, or just energy management, or um, learning about a certain phenomenon uh, in flight test. So um, I, I, I'd say there's countless things that I've learned, and I can't even recollect all of them. Um, but I know that I have them in my database personally, and, and when I go into a test planning brief or a, a brief to fly a flight, I am calling on that knowledge on a daily basis um, to make sure that the team is making the right decision and that I am hopefully also making the right decisions, not only in you know, pre-flight planning and, and the flight test brief, but in the, in the flying of those test points as well. Um, so, and I've, you know, made mistakes for sure. Everyone has, you know, we've all come back and we have those true stories to tell. Um, and, and thankfully that's all they are, right? It's just a, you know, oops, did that. And I've learned, and I'm going to share this with everyone else now. So you don't repeat my mistake or whatever. And that's the beauty of what we do uh, is we need to be open and honest with each other. Um, you know, one of the tenets of um, the society is, you know, to broaden professional relationships uh, by sharing ideas and experiences to promote um, our vision, which is to improve the safety uh, and design of, of aerospace vehicles and their related systems. So by sharing those stories, we're, we're doing that. It's not always going to be the, um, the success story. And, and those are the hard stories to tell when things go wrong. Um, the, the society was formed originally by a bunch of test pilots who were tired of seeing their buddies dying uh, in flight test events uh, back in the late 50s, you know, 50, early 50s and late 50s. So um, they felt like there had to be a better way. You know, by sharing this knowledge, um, that was the foundation of the society. So we continue to do that to today. Um, we, we share our, uh, our, our experiences through the symposia. Um, one of the benefits of being a member is the access to the database of hundreds and hundreds of flight test papers regarding every discipline that, that you can imagine. You know, you're going to do a first flight or a flutter flight, or if you're at rotary wing, you know, looking at uh, dynamic rollover or whatever. You can search the database. You can pull up anything that you're about to go uh, get involved in, and you can learn from others' experience. Uh, so by having that kind of access as a member, it's a, it's a huge benefit. Um, so I think not only the symposia where lessons are learned, but just the benefits of the membership itself have, have helped me throughout my entire career. So and this will sound like an easy question, but it's and it's one I've asked a couple of different people on the podcast before. But it's really a hard question for someone who's done as much as you've done. So if you, if you had to point to an experience, a flight test event, or, or something that you say, hey, this one, I really drew a lot from it, or this one stuck with me, or this was 
one of the key lessons learned from something. So if I ask you to, to share one experience with us, uh, something you've done in your time testing airplanes that you think would be of interest to our listeners. As I think back, there's there's so many of you know this amount of years of doing flight tests. And you can share more than one. We've there's got plenty of tapes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's one example um, where I feel like it was, it was a tough call, you know, to make. I guess maybe it wasn't really that tough looking back on it, but at the moment, it really was um, one of those things where I probably wanted to do the opposite of what I did because of the environment I was in, and that is in the air show environment. So one of the things as a test pilot that you find yourself involved in is air demonstrations of the aircraft, trying to promote it, trying to sell it to foreign militaries or whatever. So in this case, uh, I was at one of those events. These are very stringent schedules. You have a six or seven minute window to fly the demo. You know, that's your time. So, you know, you can jump into the next slot or whatever, but it's definitely not yeah. a plan. So I taxied out to the runway. And again, working up for an air show is an entirely different discussion that we can have maybe at another time. But um, it takes about six to eight weeks of practicing uh, for seven minutes of flight time. Uh, now, I've got to say, it's the, probably the most exciting seven minutes of flight time that I've ever experienced <laughs> in my career. But by the time you get there and you're taking the runway, you know, you are 100 percent prepared the, the uh it's like a dance you've practiced the entire thing hundreds of times in the simulator and then airborne as well you work your way down to the uh, demo altitude and it's you know it's your time you've started the jet up 45 minutes before your launch everything's good to go you taxi out take the runway and in this case i run the engines up and i get a caution that was going to prevent me from safely flying the um, the demo. It was a refueling door caution. Not a major deal, but it means the door on the right side of the airplane could be opened where the refueling cap is. So I <laughs> aborted the takeoff after being a full afterburner for about two or three seconds, pulled the throttles back, stopped the airplane, made the call to tower. I'm aborting the takeoff, taxied off, and back to the line. Now, you know, the reality is, this happens sometimes in the airplane, and it's probably just a micro switch on the door. The door's probably not really open, but at that moment, I'm just like, I can't take that risk. You know, I can't have in front of tens of thousands of people a refueling door going down the inlet. So I boarded that, and guess what? It wasn't the end of the world. I taxied off, go back to the line. The, uh, the next jet that was supposed to go right behind me six or seven minutes later they were ready to go, so guess what? They took off. They did their thing. The maintenance guys checked it. Everything was good to go. I taxied back, flew my routine six or seven minutes later. No big deal in the end, and it was a great routine. So it was one of those things where um, I took away from it, like, okay, the, the right decision was made. Could have done something differently probably. It's got away with it maybe, but, you know, you can't be lucky in flight tests. So I feel like that's one of those things you have to really – choose the right thing all the time. Uh, another test pilot told me at one point in that scenario that adrenaline, adrenaline is like alcohol, and you have to remember that. So the, your adrenaline's pumping, and it's like being drunk. So keep that in mind that 
you can't let it affect your decision making in that regard. You can't be lucky in flight tests. I love it. Great comments and insight hitting on things like the importance of mentoring and decision making in high visibility events, which we just covered in our last couple of episodes. We'll take a break with the interview there and finish up with staying in our next episode. So that's it for this month. Thank you for listening. We're going to release the next episode right after Thanksgiving so you can hear the rest of my chat with Sting and I get to take a little break for the month of December. As always, we welcome your comments, your feedback, and your questions. And in keeping with the season, why did the farmer have to separate the chicken and the turkey? He sensed foul play. (laughs) Until next month, be safe, be smart, and be ready. The Flight Test Safety Podcast is sponsored by Time to Climb Training and Consulting. Motivate your team to succeed, accelerate towards your goals, and elevate to a higher level of performance. On the web at www.time2climb.com.